In this very room There's quite enough love For all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear For spirit One spirit Is in this very you to take a just a moment to turn within and join me in the welcome the sacred invocation that centering prayer creates for us and so I put down in this moment anything unlike what I'm about to express that there's a life there's a force for good there's a principle there's a vibration of the most high and that experience that energetic that life is my life your life? And so in this moment, I welcome it fully and completely. I ground myself. I breathe into my heart. I breathe into my core. I breathe into my lungs. And I know with a mindful breath, I continue to activate it with each breath, each moment. There's a sweetness. There's an availability. There's a, there's a sense of presence. As I lean back from my day-to-day thinking, from my busy mind, from my fixing and changing, blaming and shaming, I put it all down in this moment with each breath. So I just give thanks. I give thanks for this day. I give thanks for music, ears to hear, eyes to see. This beautiful planet that is a a representation in form of that which supports all of us. That it is God in form everywhere. This vibration of the most high at the the base level of, of the energetic and the biology of who and what we are and the spirituality of who and what we are. That animating force is our animating force. And so I just give thanks this day in honoring that in gratitude and appreciation, in the humility and joy to welcome it consistently, deeply into my experience of life despite what is happening, to look out upon the world and upon my life with new eyes, to be born again in this moment and each moment hereafter. So I just give thanks knowing that there's something powerful and beautiful moving in and through and as each and every one of us upon the words, upon the music, and upon this activity they were about today in celebration and recognition and welcome of the divine. For this I give thanks and I invite you to say with me, and so it is. It's interesting, I'm talking about light today and I've noticed each week we have less and less lights on. I'm gonna have to get the light company in here. They keep, we're down to one. It's interesting because it's a metaphor for what I'm talking about today. And uh, so I'm going to turn my thing up like that so I can read it because it's dark in here. You think we were in church or something? Anyway, so we've been using Michael Singer's uh, beautiful book, The Untethered Soul, and it's a beautiful, a beautiful uh, narrative of consciousness. And and you know every every month, every time we get together, we're we're using someone's 
uh, typically contemporary exploration and articulation of their experience of, of the divine. And th- this one uh, is so rich and wonderful that I realized once I got into it, it was going to take me more than one month to really, I think, flesh it out in a way that I felt was honoring. In the uh, Sufi tradition, they call it adab. Adab is honoring, respect. And so in respect for that, we've continued with it, which is quite beautiful. So what I wanted to uh, share with you today is uh, uh, from section four of the book uh, called Going Beyond. And going beyond is is our opportunity, um, and many of you have practices in your life that assist you with this, and and I know that I'm I'm preaching to the choir here, but I want to share with it anyway because I think it helps focus us in in, uh, our own practices, our own spiritual practices. So there's three, three sections within this section four called, first is taking down the walls far, far beyond and letting go of false solidity. So this idea that of what we think is, is solid and, and who we are, um, it's an opportunity to let that go as well. At some point, as, my, as Michael Singer says, our journey hopefully becomes quieter. That has been my experience, that a lot of the, the chatter that I showed up with at the beginning of my journey is less frantic and noisy and disruptive and chaotic um, as it is today. And so I think that's part of the journey that we're on. But we are inundated with this, this, conscious, or this constant uh, chatter at times. So what would happen if our consciousness was not bound to the personal self? Because that's really what he's talking about. Our consciousness is not our opinions, our ideas, and thoughts, and our feelings. Our consciousness is simply our consciousness. And so this idea that that is what our consciousness is, is, is we've missed the mark. Enlightenment, he talks about enlightenment in this, in this section. He says, enlightenment for a number of people is limited to our personal experience. So if, if we've had a bit of a glimpse at that or a moment of, of what we feel was enlightenment, that's how we would color all of that. Or perhaps we have a limited understanding. We've never had the experience, but we've read about it. And so we come up with a conclusion that, that enlightenment is accessible to no one. So he uses this beautiful metaphor in, the, in this, these chapters about a house. And so he, uh, imagine, he says, that we find a beautiful field. So there's a picture of a beautiful field. Probably Alberta somewhere. For a couple of weeks anyway. And, um, and so he says, we build this beautiful home. Right in the middle, we decided we're going to build this beautiful home, and we make it out of cinder block because that'll last a long time, and we put down a really great foundation. We put in very few windows, big overhangs. So big overhangs, little, not too many windows, and then we put these, these really great shutters on it so we can shut out all the light, and it also makes us secure in there. So we go in there, and we, we've got the whole thing done, and we're excited, and we, we stockpile the resources up so we're, we're self-sufficient. We never have to go get food again. We've got enough there to live forever. And also, we bring a companion along to help us clean. So got to have that. I mean, especially if it's a guy, right? That's how it works in my house anyway. Because um, I don't care what guy you are, you are never going to clean to the standards of our compadres. That's been my experience anyway. That'll be my first book that I complete. Men don't know how to clean and women are from Venus, something like that. So anyway, we bring a companion along as well. We have complete solitude, no TV, no radio, no internet, nothing, just solitude. And we bring, we have our books to read and we write. Books and writing, it's beautiful. 
And over time, we realize, wow, it feels better if I have the shutters down. So all of a sudden, this outside light is no longer coming in. We turn the shutters down, and it gets darker and darker and darker. And, but on the outside, it's still this, this luminous light that's available. But because we've shut everything down, we're, we feel safe. We feel we're, we're in this box of, of, of safety and this comfort. It makes us feel very, very comfortable. So as we go along, um, because we have our shutters down, all of a sudden the light bulbs start burning out. And the one thing that we forgot to bring was extra light bulbs. Which I hate that when that happens. So no light bulbs, but we find candles. So we start lighting candles. But we've got to conserve the candles because we don't have a whole, a whole lot of candles. So we're lighting candles and lighting candles. And one day the housekeeper discovers in the basement this whole case of flashlights. And the flashlights are recharged by shaking them. So the candles are gone for the most part, but we spend a lot of time, the housekeeper and you spend a lot of time shaking and, and shining flashlights and decorating the place. And all of a sudden, you start to develop this bond with the housekeeper. And it's this beautiful, all of a sudden, this beautiful relationship sort of bubbles up. And so there's this intimacy and closeness, and you actually perform a, a, a beautiful wedding ceremony. So the two of you come together and you're in, the, you're in the, your house and you've got, it's your own universe, it's your own world. And there's love there and there's companionship and there's all these great things going on. But it's also very uncomfortable because it's dark a lot of the times and the flashlights are, are a very poor form of illumination. And so you're, you're stumbling around in, in the darkness or the, the semi-darkness and you're closer and closer with your companion and then you find a book in the basement, one of the books that you brought along. And the book talks about this self-luminous light that's available. That beyond the walls of this environment that you've created is this incredible light, this incredible presence, this incredible vibrancy. And you read about it and you realize, wow, that just sounds so interesting. But in order to have that experience, you've got to lift the shutters. You might actually have to go outside, walk around a little bit. Our consciousness, our consciousness, and this house are a metaphor. The house represents our thoughts and emotions, it represents our past experiences, and what we do is we weave them together. This is just how we're hardwired. We weave it all together, and we, and we, we, we come up with this, this identity. We identify ourselves in a certain way, so we, we take all of the experiences and we handpick a few of them and then we decide this is who I'm going to be. This is who I am. And, and so that, because we have to do that. I mean, we just need the answer. We got we to gotta have some place to stand. But our consciousness is living inside of us and the only light we can get is the light we create. Our house is made up of our thoughts, emotions, all of our past experiences and how we can hold them in place. Simple, simple, simple. I mean, it just seems so obvious, doesn't it? We have an identity. I do this, I do this, I do this. There were things I did as a young man that, I, that are no longer true for me. And so, but I realized, so part of the beautiful journey is realizing that's, that's no longer who I was, but at that point, certain point in my life, that was very important. It helped bring me to this place I am now. And so we, we do that over and over again. So we have two choices when we start to test and push out against the... the, the uh, the walls that we've created for ourselves is identity, our home, our, our house of consciousness. One is it's very uncomfortable. We start to stretch. We start to push that envelope, and it can be very uncomfortable. So we have two choices. We can either pull back or we can, for, uh, we can force change. And that's why, you know, we went, I was in, uh, 
Quadra Island this week with uh, about 80 people. We were at the Circle of Love. Just an amazing experience, and we were, created this incubator of love for all these people. And uh, David Leonard, Reverend David Leonard, is one of my, my dearest friends in the world, and he invites me, and I know David, I've done enough of these now, I've done about five of these Circle of Loves, and, and David will never tell you what you're doing. He just says, come on to the Circle of Love. And so I, I know David well enough now, so I throw about 10 books into my bag because I know something's going to be required, and I need a little, bit of, a little bit of inspiration to spring forth. I mean, I can, I'm very good off, on, uh, off the top of my head, but I do need a little bit of structure, and David always says, I said, what do you want me to do? I'll just speak from the heart. Just speak from the heart. So I get there, I look at the program, which I hadn't seen, and sure enough, I'm speaking for an hour and 15 minutes the, the first morning. <laughs> I said, okay, what would you like me to talk about, David? Just speak from the heart. Okay. Well, I just know how God likes to repeat himself when I speak from the heart. So anyway, uh, and then of course, um, and that was beautiful because there were certain things, there are certain themes that are precious to me. And so I just kind of went with that. The next day I had a workshop and I thought there's 80 people here and they're probably so full. They want to be out on this beautiful nature and all this stuff. And and uh, so I, I prepared for a dozen. I said, oh, give me copies. I'm going to do this nice little thing. And it'll be a box that I understand. And it'll be lovely. And I had, you know, I had it all figured out in my head from the beginning to end. And 80 people show up. So I just took those dozen handouts and I put them to the side. And I said, well, here we go. And then I realized, you know, um, this is the circle of love. And the guy that put this together said, speak from your heart and trust what's alive. And so I just, I said, you know, God, I can't do this, but I know that you can do it through me, and what is the heartfelt need, and, and what am I called to share today? And so we did a bunch of energy work around grounding ourselves through spiritual practice, around tapping into the, that, that beautiful thir- uh, uh, third eye that is that purification point. That's what meditation does for us. When we have a rich meditation life, and, our, and our, all of our meridians are firing in our body, that third eye... Will, will get activated and, and it's a purification center. It just burns off the dross of that which is no longer true about us. For me, it's one of the most powerful practices to step back, as Michael Singer says, and realize this isn't who I am. I'm thinking this and I have biases and I have opinions about this, but that's just, that's just what that is. Those are just thoughts and emotions, but it's not who I am. When we talk about the perfection of life and the perfection that lives in us, it is the same thing that Singer's talking about when he says, step back into the seat of the soul. This is, this is serious spiritual practice. This is not for your everyday Joe out there. It just isn't. Because it takes consistency, it takes repetition, it takes dedication. It takes sometimes sitting in the worst meditations you've ever had in your life for years. And understanding, I don't care how long you're going to scream at me that this is stupid and mindless and a waste of time. I'm going to keep showing up and doing this practice. Because what we're doing is we're slowly quieting. And there's there's ways to accelerate that. It doesn't have to go on for years. There's so many wonderful techniques of acceleration. We do the John of God meditation once a, um, a month here. I think it's once a month. And I was gone for it, and my wife Laura facilitated it, but... We had almost 40 people show up. And it's such a powerful, powerful meditation. And it's lovely that we create this ritual around it that creates this, this incubator of, of possibility. 
So anyway, I did this workshop, and we, we did a bunch of energy work, and at the end, I, used one, I just used the simple technique of this uh, teens. The teens will do A's and B's. So they, one, person, one person stands with their eyes closed, and the other people come up, and very appropriately, I always say like you were, you were loving up your grandmother, okay? So if you want to know what levels of affection to express, it's if, if grandma was before you, and you express love. So you touch their face, or you might grab their hand, you might give them a hug, but, you know, something very appropriate. And people were just falling apart. It was just like people were cracked open and crying and going on and on and on. And it was just this beautiful thing where all of a sudden these walls of identity and the vulnerability, because God forget, we hate being vulnerable. Don't you hate being vulnerable? That's worse than that. I'd rather punch somebody than be vulnerable. <laughs> That's the family I grew up in, you know. Is this a private fighter? Can anybody get in on her, you know? But, so anyway, vulnerability, and there was a lady there that, uh, she, was, she was very elderly, didn't ask her her age, but she had a cane, and after it got all done, she came up and she told me, you know, Dr. Ernest Holmes never would have gone for any of this touching stuff. <laughs> and I said, really? Were you close to Dr. Holmes? Did you go to grammar school with him? How did you make the connection? I didn't say that, but I thought that. <laughs> but you know what it, was for, what it was, what she was saying to me, is this makes me very uncomfortable. It scares me. And I got that. And I said, well, I appreciate you sharing that. You know, that is, it's very, it's, it's hard to do this. It's hard to do this for people. And, and, I, and I also told people, look, if you're not comfortable doing this, don't do it. You can sit and watch. It's okay. You don't, I'm not holding, you know, I'm not forcing anybody. But this is our opportunity. Because when we withhold that energy, same thing in Abhijanya, that when you meditate you're, and you're loving God as you know God, and then this amazing individual does all this incredible stuff that seems like science fiction, the way it's done is because people are there holding the, the container of unconditional love and loving God as they know God. That's a beautiful thing. So we, the same thing was getting created there. So it's, it's, just, it's fascinating to watch, though, the, the walls we put up and the, the biases we have. You know, what, what vulnerability feels like to us when, in fact, if we truly stand in who and what we are and we force change, and, and the forcing the change is being willing to move into it and lean into it without being attached to realize, wow, I have biases around this. Look at this prejudice I have. Because the truth about spirituality is that spirituality begins when you decide that you'll never stop trying. If I have one quality, one quality that has carried me and served me beyond any of the others, it is persistence. That I knew each and every time I decide I'm done with this, not doing this ministry stuff anymore, it's too hard, too much stuff going on, too much learning, too much, you know, it's, you sign up for this and then it's nonstop. But it, even though on the way home, I usually leave every Sunday and I say, that is everything I will ever have to say. I am done. I have shared now everything I know and so Monday morning, I'm going to get the newspaper out, I'm going to go online, I'm going to apply for a new job somewhere. And then about Wednesday, all of a sudden, the download starts again, and it starts to stir. But that's just my process. Now I just feel, ah, oh, that's just me. That's that part of me that says, this is, this is too uncomfortable. Stop doing it. Spirituality is the commitment to go beyond no matter what it takes. So if you make that commitment... See, you think you're in this alone. When you make that commitment to this divine presence that is behind us and around us, it's just saying yes 
when we're in a, in a circle of love and one of the ministers said, well, I just love the law. Dr. Ernest Holmes taught this idea that, you know, we speak our word and it impresses upon the law and the law can do nothing but say yes. And so this minister that I know very well said, you know, I just love the law. The law you can count on. And I said, I love the law too. But why do we keep talking about dirt? Because the, 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 the law is simply this rich, fertile soil of possibility that we plant seeds in. And what I know about my life is that the seeds that I plant determine, they move me in a direction of what I'd like to experience. So while I love the law and I love the dirt I'm planting the seeds in, the, the spiritual dirt, what I know is my seeds become richer and more potent and more beautiful as, as I'm shifted and changed. So if I'm planting seeds of I'm not enough, the law, all the law can do is respond to that and say, you got it. Here, we're going to bring somebody else into your life that will, will uh, confirm and support you in not being enough. And we, and we do this over and over and over again. Because you know, we've, we've created an identity. If we, if we, you know, he said, the way we learn how to do this, we do this, is, or as he says, is you have a practice in your life that's, that provides comfort because we need a level of comfort. If you have a practice in your life that provides comfort, say you smoke. Anybody here smoke? Any smokers? Would you stand up? Let us see. Awesome. So, uh, great example. So, for a couple of weeks, just stop smoking. Okay? You guys okay with that? Give me a thumbs up. Anybody? No thumbs up back there? Yeah, okay. Yeah, the guy that doesn't smoke is giving me a thumbs up. So, what'll happen is you'll notice when you stop, because I've smoked for years. It was my favorite hobby for years. Quit in 1994. It was on November 11th at 3.30 in the afternoon, but who's counting? I still miss it. It was great. I love smoking. Get to go outside, hang out with everybody, be a tough guy, get your cigarette going, you know. Yeah, let me tell you. Yeah. <sighs> oh, I'm, I miss it so much. No, don't tell me they got electronic cigarettes. I'm just goofing now. But, but what happened for me when I quit smoking is all of a sudden these urges would come up. It was like, <sighs> and it was just like, you know, because the way that I would manage the, the, that urge was I'd smoke. Oh, yeah, I got to have a cigarette, I got to have a cigarette. So get nervous, get, get agitated, get anxious, cigarette time. I mean, you could make any excuse for having a cigarette. I got them all. Oh, it's after a meal, time for a cigarette. You know, I can't quit smoking. I'll gain all kinds of weight. Yeah, there you go. There's another healthy pattern. And sometimes people do. But the point is, so the idea with worry, if you have a practice of worry, it's the same thing. You know, quit, quit worrying for just two weeks. Quit worrying and see what urges come up. See what's going on. See what's driving us. See what, what chatter and, and identification because of the mosaic of life that we grab onto to give our life clarity and, and, and a forward momentum. We pull together a specific set of thoughts and emotions and we have woven them together in a conceptual world in which we live. And what it does is it closes us off from the light. It just limits the light. Our capacity to let light in. Awareness can expand to cover vast space or we can begin to focus on the walls that block the light. We avoid our wall at all costs because it's uncomfortable. When you start to push out, it gets uncomfortable. And what Singer says, and I, I agree, it's, I believe, and I know it's true. My teacher, Singer, wrote this, and then I, I marked it with the blue today. He said, we must learn to be comfortable with psychological disturbance. We are married to this idea that if I'm psychologically disturbed, it's a negative thing. And what I would offer you is that if we are psychologically disturbed, it means we're pressing the envelope with the status quo of our conscious belief system because something new wants to be expressed. But the idea is if I push in, it's going to hurt even more and more and more. 
And that's just not true. It'll hurt for a while. It'll be uncomfortable for a while, but what's on the other side of that, eventually, if we continue, we break through. We break through into the light. We, we step back into this, this luminous light that's behind us. See, we think our, light, our life is all out in front of us, and we step through into this beautiful, luminous light that is, that is supporting us. When you're in Abhijanya with John of God in Brazil, I've taken three trips down there, they talk about this phalange, this group of light workers that are behind each and every one of us. Some people would call them angels. You know, we don't teach a lot of that in this teaching because it's all about our consciousness and what I believe, and it's all about the law. And, it's, and, I, and I, when I heard that, and then I felt it and experienced it at such depth, I realized, oh my gosh, I've been doing so much of this on my own. And so why not invite all of the forces for good that are available to us to participate in our lives? Is it blowing outside? Wow, there's a mighty wind. We were down yesterday, and I, had, I was holding, we were walking downtown, and this wind came down the street. And it was a good thing I had Laura's hand because she, she flew up in the air. It's like, look at this. She says, it's a tornado. I looked up. I didn't see a tornado, but I wasn't so certain. Yeah. Well, we'll just know that the roof stays on the place. So what happens with our walls of our house is it becomes our cage. And she, he uses the metaphor of, the, of this dog. If we have a dog that's got one of those vibrational uh, collars on, that if it goes too far, all of a sudden it becomes uncomfortable. And he said, what happens for, for people, if you're committed to doing this work, just like the dog, it gets uncomfortable. But every once in a while, there's a courageous dog that will understand and will move closer and closer and closer into that, that frequency and get accustomed to the frequency. And eventually, they go right through it. When I went to Abhijanya last time with the John of God, they, we have the crystal bed. We have the crystal bed over here. When I first did one, it, it, I didn't like it. It was like, oh, my gosh. Made my head pound, made my heart race. I thought, Ugh. and everybody's going, oh, wasn't it great? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. You guys go ahead and do another one. I'll, I'll see you later. But I had to calibrate. I had to adjust myself to that, that calibration of the energetic that it was creating. And I got that. So I realized, you know what? It's uncomfortable, but I'm going to go back and do another one. And over time, I sort, of, I sort of adjusted. But I could have said, I'm never doing that again. It was uncomfortable. Because the number one thing, I mean, so many of us believe that the number one thing in our lives is we got to be comfortable. And when that becomes the, the mainstay of how we operate, we just limit ourselves in every way. Because there's nothing comfortable about this journey. It's, it's becoming and becoming and becoming and putting it down and listening and, and being in life and, and, and seeing people's opinions come at you and projections and on and on and on. But what happens is I think it, spiritually is all of a sudden we start to lift the elevation of our perception and look down from 30,000 feet. And I, I love that metaphor of looking down at our lives from 30,000 feet and understanding that life is for us that we've brought these things into our lives and so all of a sudden these challenges that come up are not there to make us uncomfortable. The uncomfortable is just sim simply a loving indicator that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, that we're giving birth to this consciousness that we all, we all have. And, and I think we're, we're on this planet at such an incredibly exciting time. There's never been so many people awake on this planet as there is right now. You know, I, they're just, I love Michael Singer in his interview with Oprah says, you know, you don't have to go sit with a guru and do this work. I think it helps accelerate it. I think any time we can come together in, a, in an incubator of love and of consciousness, it accelerates us because there's, there's a tendency for all of us to be lifted up in a bigger way. But none of, that, none of that's required or necessary. You know, I'm reading the autobiography of Yogi again right now, and it's just amazing. His story is like 
It's hard to believe at times. But just the, the, this, this whole journey of consciousness and giving birth to this thing. And he was one of the, you know, that was back in the 1920s. And here we are today. What are we called to give birth to? If we know there's something, a greater yet to be, and I'm devoted to a greater yet to be. And if we know that, then for me, there's nothing more interesting and exciting than giving birth to that. And, and, and then it's not just here when we're together and we're being spiritual, or I'm being the minister. It's like taking it out into the world, wherever we are. And when we see the, the lack and limitation and the fear and the judgment and the opinions and the wars that go on and the, and the cruelty that happens, I mean, that's part of life as well. To be able to look at it from 30,000 feet and realize, well, that's, that's everybody playing out the, that, that maya, that dream of falling asleep in this, in this realm. And it's waking up. I mean, consciousness is about waking up. So once we get that and we start to realize, oh, I get this. I'm growing into a different perception and a different opportunity and I'm able to step back more and realize that, that life will go on, that I don't have to micromanage it. He says in, the, uh, in his book, let me find it here for you, that once we, awaken, once we awaken spiritually, we're never the same and we're never like anybody else. Because, and I've seen this over and over, I've seen it in my own life. All the things that I wanted to get done and have when I got into this teaching, they've all fallen away and changed. It's not, not that I don't have things and don't enjoy things. It's just a whole different, I'm in a whole different relationship with them. And, and so it's been interesting to watch that because that wasn't, you know, the things that brought me to, the, to my longing, I came in and I wanted, to know, I wanted to be better in the second kingdom of consciousness. I wanted to be able to manipulate and I wanted to be able to demonstrate and I wanted to have more stuff. And I think for many of us, that's what, what gets us through the door. We're tired of being victimized. And then all of a sudden, it's like you get stuff. How much stuff can you have? Pretty soon, you've got to have storage for your stuff. And then I'm worrying about my stuff. And oh, my gosh. And then I see some other stuff I've got to have. Oh, yeah, I've got, I got to have one of those now. Hmm, and one of those. And after a while, you realize, you know what? Even when I get one of those, there's still that hole within me. So what am I missing? And so then all of a sudden, we can still be right where we are, but all of a sudden, everything within us shifts and changes because we realize, and I'll tell you what it is for me, what works for me. My life, I'm in service to this presence. Some people would call that God. I get up every day and ask myself, am I in service to God today or not? And if, and if I get confused, I can bring myself back to that simple little phrase, that's my prayer, the question I ask, am I in service to God? Which but just colors everything. Because so, I, I need simple. I don't need 10, 10, list of 10 things I need to do. Am I in service to God? Because once you realize and you start to identify more and more with that indwelling presence and that, that aliveness, it influences everything. It's just amazing. Don't ask, what can I do about this? But ask, who am I that notices this? Who am I that's noticing this? When we get triggered, who am I that's noticing this? And stop defining the disturbed mind as a negative experience. When we let go of the dark psyche and we let go of the light psyche and you're no longer clinging to anything, you'll reach a point where it will all open up behind you. You're used to being aware of things in front of you and you now become aware of a universe behind your seat of consciousness. It's right there. It's right there. And so when we press in and we challenge ourselves and we, we challenge ourselves to feel uncomfortable because there's a greater yet to be that wants to be expressed, we eventually break through. And he said it's a peace and it's a joy and it's a, it's a vibrancy 
that is beyond description. It's available to all of us. That's what we're giving birth to right now on this planet. You know, what will happen as we, as we come together and give birth and hold this consciousness as well as all the troubles that we see out in the world, the technology and the, and the consciousness that can support the technology and the, and the solutions will, will bubble up. Because right now it looks like there's not enough. It looks like we're running out of everything. And yet what I know is what we're here to do, and, and of course, invention, mother, uh, necessity is the mother of invention, but I believe that's true at the level of consciousness as well the greater yet to be. And when we stand together in that light, when we stand together in that, that common good, there's just this unspoken agreement that the greater good, the greater yet to be involves everyone, not just my needs, not just my identification of what makes me comfortable, but to realize we're here to give birth to that as well. That's such an exciting opportunity. There it is right there. So it requires a new pers- perspective. As he said, at 30,000 feet. And eventually, there, you'll understand there's an ocean of love behind all this fear and pain. That's where I was this weekend with the circle of love with Reverend David Leonard. He's just, he's amazing. You know what was so touching for me? I didn't share this at the first uh, service, so don't tell him if you see him. But, but what was so great about it is watching the transformation that took place of the people that volunteered. The people that held the space, we hadn't done one there for five years, and the people that had held the space, and it's because it's a tiny community. Campbell River has this beautiful little center for spiritual living, but it's tiny. You know, it's, it's 30, 40 people. And to watch those volunteers come alive in service to this, it was just like, oh my gosh. It was so beautiful because they were so alive with, with this, the, the, the capacity to serve in service to God, which gets translated into service because here comes God in the door now and there's a godling over there and there's a godling over there. It was the sweetest thing, you know. And then to go on Facebook and see all of the stuff that was shared, it's just like, oh. You know, it, what it does when we have experiences like that, it transform the, transforms the community. That's the value. That's the richness. I told David Leonard, I said, I think we're ready to do this in Edmonton. Maybe not right away. I didn't give him a date, but I said, I think we're ready to bring this to Edmonton. We haven't tried a circle of love here. We just weren't ready for all that love yet, but I think we are. So we'll see how that goes. Eventually, we will develop an intensely personal relationship with this beautiful inner force that will replace the pain and the disturbance. But it requires our persistence. It requires us to keep pushing in. I mean, we can keep pulling back and keep pulling back and we can keep going into the worry or we can keep covering it up and realizing, well, this makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to do that. But we are, we are a, a culture of cultural creatives, the greater yet to be. And your willingness helps create a wave for others' willingness. Just crack it a little bit. All it takes is willingness. We don't have to know the answers. We just, what's the next knowing for me? What's the next threshold I can step over. You know, the Sufis do the dervish. They spin and they dance. And the dervish means threshold. What's the next threshold? So it's a progression. It's a journey. Yogananda says it takes a million years for the soul to reach enlightenment. Wow. Look at that. We've all been alive for a million years. Now's the time. We're the ones right here. And enlightenment is just simply that experience of breaking through that wall of the fog and all of a sudden, the identification is stepping into the light. That's enlightenment. It's a beautiful thing. So let's ground this in prayer. And as our ushers come forward as well, we bless our offering today. So what I know in this moment is there's a power and a force for good. It's alive. We have spoken about it. We have, in our centering prayer, 
welcomed it to give birth. And this is a powerful, beautiful opportunity. I stand with you in such great love and appreciation for all the wisdom, all the gifts of consciousness that, that are supporting us, that the consciousness upon the words and upon the music that lifts us up, the prayers that have been laid down over the last 60 years within this facility, 30 years with our tradition, but prior to that, a beautiful spiritual tradition that laid a foundation. I'm grateful for all of it. I'm grateful for wherever love is breaking out on this planet, where consciousness, where we are leaning into that which challenges us and makes us the most uncomfortable in knowing we have everything we need to continue to move forward and give birth to the greater yet to be. As our ushers come forward, I give thanks for the opportunity to share our gifts, to know that these gifts continue in every good way to expand the awareness, the opportunities, the programs, and the impact that we have in the world. There is something beautiful happening here and now. I just give thanks for this, and together we say, and so it is.